Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 319. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. Hey. How's it going? Can't complain. All right. I mean, I can complain, but I won't. Good. There's always complaints to be had, right? Anybody that says I can't complain is lying. That's true. You can always complain about something. Just a matter of how you're feeling. Yeah. It's a mood thing. Mm -hmm. I take it. This week on the show, of course, we're going to be talking about Jordan Peele's Us. We'll also be talking about someone we're watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, you can help support Film Pulse on Patreon at patreon.com slash filmpulse for just a dollar a month, and that'll help us out tremendously. I think we can safely dive into our review of Us. Now, this is a movie that I will say, I mean, I, I could say this about anything we review, but this one especially if you haven't seen the movie yet, maybe wait to see it and then listen to the review because I, I don't plan on spoiling anything, but I think that this is the a type of movie that you really benefit from going into it as cold as possible. I mean, I would argue that any movie you see, you should try to go into as cold as possible, but doubly for this one. And we might have to do a spoiler section at the end of the show. If I we think decide. we definitely, we definitely yeah. have to. Because yeah. I even think that seeing the trailer for this movie is is too yeah. much. Right. So we'll do this beginning part of the review and keep it as spoiler-free as we can. Although we will most likely be talking about some plot details. Again, just a warning. And then at the very, we'll, we'll do a spoiler section and tack it on at the end, just in case, you know, people want to, to hear our thoughts before they see the movie. But at any rate, this is written and directed by Jordan Peele. I have a synopsis here. A family's serenity turns to chaos when a group of doppelgangers begins to terrorize them. Now you and I, we just got back from this. This is fresh. This is fresh in our minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've even had enough time to really process this movie, but I'm going to try. Maybe I'll process it as we're discussing it. We'll, we'll, we'll go through it together. <laughs> hand in hand, we'll walk through it. We'll get there. So initial thoughts. What did you think about us? Uh, initial thought is uh, the overall, I enjoyed it. Um, I was a bit let down and to a certain extent peeved with some of the choices being made, which are essentially the, the same complaints that I always have when it comes to either, you know, horror movies or thriller type deals anything kind of like in that vein, which is there's just a bit too much of exposition. Like there's, there's these sequences where they just explain things, which I just found annoying. Like the, mm-hmm. I, to me, it didn't need to be done. And I think 
the worst part of that is not only does he do it, but then he overextends that as well, where he takes it just a bit too far and explains stuff that I don't think needed to be explained at all. Yeah. At least I mean, not in the film, you know, at least not visually. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about like the, the sort of exposition dump that happens at the end. Yeah. 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 That I, I probably could have done without that too. Although I believe that it still leaves a lot of stuff open for interpretation. I don't think it does. You don't think so? I don't think so. I had at least for of, me. Like, I had, I still had a lot of logistical questions about this. Well, world. I think that, oh, I think there's a lot of things that just like, they don't make sense. Like you can't, like you can't look into it too deeply because the logistics just, they don't work. Which is fine. They don't need to work. It's fun. That's why that's it. And that's my problem with this when they do expedition exposition dumps like this. Is it usually kind of backfires because on one hand, I think like you have the crux of it there. Like it doesn't really need to be explained. Like you can probably kind of piece it together on your own. And also it lets you you know, throw some of your imagination in there and come up with something. But once you kind of introduce these explanations, it kind of reveals the weak logistics of it all at the same time. Sure. Yeah. Which is why I just like, don't do it. Just, just leave it. Right. Just leave it ambiguous and just kind of leave us hanging. I completely understand what you're saying with that. If if there wasn't that sort of explanation about things at the end, everything would have been much more ambiguous and we would have had we would have been forced to draw more conclusions about who this family of doppelgangers is and what like how this all came to be and everything and I think that in the end that would have the movie would have benefited more from that because as you said, after she does do the explanation, you're, it almost raises more questions than answers. Yeah. And overall though, I thought I I had a really great time with the film. I think that Jordan Peele is an excellent horror director. And I think that, he, I, I hope he continues to play in the horror genre because we need a lot. I think it's beneficial as someone who is a, a, as obsessed with horror movies as I am. I think that anytime we get a a fresh voice in the genre to, you know, mix things up and make make some really thought provoking mainstream horror movies, I think that it's nothing but a positive thing. Oh, yeah. Oh hell yeah, yeah, and, and and there there were a lot of aspects of this movie that I thought he really excelled in. Uh, the visuals were uh, pretty top notch for me. I liked yeah. all of the various settings, and he's not afraid to. I mean, the the bulk of the movie, a lot of the movie takes place at nighttime, but he's not afraid to have things take place in the daylight either. And I think that horror movies can be in the day in the daytime 
-hmm. It's just so rare that they are. And I think that the scenes that he did in the daytime, and I mean, it was bright. Like this is at a beach, you know, it's, it's bright out. And yet those scenes that he did were still creepy and scary. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's really the only thing that, that held me back from fully embracing the film. And yes, I thought it was, it was detrimental, obviously, but it wasn't enough that it, that it ruined the overall experience of the movie. It was just kind of one of those things like towards the end where it's like, ah, I wish you didn't do that. Yeah. Like why, why, why is there's that need mm-hmm. to explain things? And also the, even it's compounded by the fact that the way that that was shot where, you know, she's up front, like split. right up against the, yeah. It's the like, split, <laughs> split diopter lens. Yeah, that just like it didn't look good either. That was really the only misstep in the visuals, I thought. Yeah, I I love split diopter shots, but yeah, for some reason this one didn't it just, quite work. No, it just it looked really bizarre. It almost looked like it's not an actual shot, like it was like, like it added was computer, in later. <laughs> it was like a computer generated like they they blended the two shots together. It just, you know, and really for me, that's the main, that's the main thing. So out of the entire film, two hours worth of film, that's the only thing that really, that bothered me. Everything else I thoroughly enjoyed. Like Get Out, this is a nice blend of comedy and horror. I mean, we, we all know that comedy and horror are very closely linked to one another often they evoke the same sort of emotional reactions from people. And I think that Jordan Peele does a really great job of keeping the comedy horror mix to, to a really nice level. He doesn't go too far one way or the other. And even in like some really tense moments, he'll inject just a little bit of humor Mm -hmm. in there to keep, to keep things a little bit lighter and I really appreciate that. And I, I think that that helps go a long way with his storytelling. Yeah. And I think that's his, that's his biggest strength for me with that comedy background is he knows when to, to throw it in because a lot of these movies where they, you know, have that kind of like layer of comedy to them in a horror movie, it's usually like front loaded and then the horror yeah. element kicks in and we kind of lose the comedy and maybe it shows up at the end for a little bit, or maybe there's a quip like it's placed somewhere in the cup, but he knows where to sprinkle it like the whole way throughout. Yeah. And to be clear, this is a horror movie. There, there like there were people, a lot of people on Twitter and stuff are saying that get out's not a horror movie and, us isn't a horror movie. Like, no, these are horror movies. He, he says they're horror movies. They're very clearly horror movies. Don't try to make it something it's not. I mean, let it be horror. And, yeah. And especially you know, this one, because this is, this is really, really simple. Like <laughs> there's murderous doppelgangers and they show up, which happens pretty early. I was kind of surprised by that is where, you know, it just kicks off like towards the beginning of the film. And then the rest of the film is just them trying to survive 
murderous doppelgangers. Yep. That's very, it. Very creepy murderous doppelgangers also. Correct. Very, very creepy murderous doppelgangers. And you can see it in the trailer. They're they're not pleasant. No, not at all. I thought that the blending, like there was a nice level of tension and action and sort of more more quiet and moody horror moments. I didn't it wasn't actually as scary as I thought it would be, judging from the trailers, but mm-hmm. I still had a lot of fun with the the horror elements. Yeah, and I thought he did a really good job with like the initial meeting of, you know, the main family and their doppelgangers. Because once that kind of like kicked off, I honestly did not know who would survive. I just mm-hmm. I didn't know. Right. You Yeah, it, it immediately comes into question like you initially you think, oh well, you know, it's a family. They're gonna get through this. But then he he makes you question that very early on, like, okay, some of these people might not get through this. Yeah. Which I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent ready for because I, that's kind of what I was thinking too. I was like, they're a family. They're going to get through this. Obviously they're going to be fighting off the doppelgangers as a group. But the first thing that happens is everyone's broken up to their doppelganger. And I was just like, okay, they're on their own now. Maybe they don't survive this. Maybe some do and some don't. Like that just kind of like flipped it for me. Whereas I wasn't a hundred percent expecting that. Yeah. The, all the sound design, the music selections, everything was really on point as well. I, I loved the sort of weird, uh, noises that the, that the doppelgangers would make and the, the sort of strange groans and like screams that they would use to communicate with one another. They reminded me a lot of the, like the, what's that game that my wife is playing? The last of us. Yeah. The clickers. Yeah. They sound like the clickers and stuff. They do. Yeah. I think I read that, that, uh, you've saying that George Romero was a big inspiration for this movie. It is. I mean, and just the way that they set it up too, where, okay, so you have like when the husband goes off with his doppelganger and you have everything that's happening. And then anytime it would cut back inside the house, you could still hear him off in the distance kind yeah. of fighting with his doppelganger. Mm-hmm. So even though that you're, you're removed from that and you're back inside with everyone else, you still hear what's happening elsewhere. And you're kind of trying to focus in on that to see if that gives you any clues while also trying to pay attention to what's happening with everyone else. And then the fact that when everyone breaks off on their own, it's it's largely done, for the most part, it's done in just silence. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of essentially just running away from their doppelganger or trying to, crawling, some of them. Yeah, and I, I thought that those sequences, those individual sequences where they were sort of tangling with their own specific doppelgangers were some of the best 
scenes. Hmm. Yeah, that was the yeah, to I me that so. was the high that was the high tension point because, yeah. like I said, I don't, I honestly did not know who would come out and who wouldn't, and the stakes are continuously raised too as the movie progresses. It it the tension builds, and once certain things are revealed, it makes you think feel like it's even more of a dire situation as it, as it moves along. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> I, another thing that I would say is that the, the doppelganger, I don't know what you would want to call it, kind of like the costuming or the makeup of them mm-hmm. is I found very interesting because yes, they're the, they're doppelgangers. They're the same, but at the same time, like they look different just enough that I couldn't a hundred percent tell that they were the exact mm-hmm. mirrors of the other, the other person. Yeah. Which just made it really creepy too. Yeah. They, they, they do like, they're the same people, but they do look twisted. They're like a little, they're a little different, mostly due to like just, the, uh, the really evil smiles that mm-hmm. they all tend to have. Oh, the one thing of comedy <clears throat> that I did want to point out, I did really enjoy uh, Winston Duke's uh, kind of callback to Black Panther. Oh, yeah. When he, <laughs> when he tries to talk, his doppelganger just barks at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was at the beginning. <laughs> there were a lot of really fun little Easter eggs and stuff in this, too. Yeah. Just the the whole, you know, the home alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you should be setting traps. The uh, there was also the cereal when it was eating eating the dry fruit loops, like from Get Out. When oh, I didn't notice those. that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. There was there were t- two Black Flag references, what I which I thought were interesting. One of the. Well, the sisters, yeah, right. One of the sisters was wearing a black flag T-shirt, and then early earlier there was uh, one of the carnival workers was wearing okay. a black flag T-shirt. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure there was tons, tons more fun oh, little yeah. Easter eggs in there too, like the the chud. Did you see the chud VHS? <laughs> I love. I that did see too. the chud, and when I saw this the chud VHS, I was like, okay, I, I feel like that. Like that's telling me something, and then obviously later obviously, on, I was yeah, like, okay, oh, I see, I see. I'm concerned that even mentioning Chud is. I know, a, a I, know I know, I know. I mean, the trailer, the trailer has a spoiler in it. It does, yeah, really, because it, there's a part of the trailer that made me like kind of question things, and then mm-hmm. it, once it kicks off, I was like, oh, okay, I know what it is. Yeah, I gotcha. It's one of those spoilers that's completely out of context, though, and you wouldn't really pick up on it unless you already saw the movie. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it, that's what I mean. Where it's like you, put, I think you put a little bit too much forward. Where once all all the the pieces are set up, you know, the game board is set up, and I'm like, okay, that's what that means. I, I think it would you. be, I think it'd be cool if in the trailers they didn't even show the doppelgangers. Like they just showed a family being terrorized by 
you know, maybe show them in silhouette or something, but not show that they're actual doppelgangers. I think that would have been a cool. Well, there's also the, the numerous pictures of like Elizabeth Moth, like crawling, crawling. Yeah. Yeah. So that was okay. So uh, yeah, I have a feeling that there's something else going on and sure enough, there is. I thought all the performances were great. Uh, Obviously Lupita, Nyong'o is the the star of the show and she does a fantastic job as both mm-hmm. herself and the doppelganger. And but, I think Winston Duke does a really good job of just being an absolute cornball. Cornball dad. It just He's such a cornball dad. <laughs> it's, Jesus. It, it's so funny because the whole time I was just thinking of his character from Black Panther, and it's like the exact opposite. Like he's playing the opposite character that he did in Black Panther, and I loved it's just it. Such a cornball. Oh my god. <laughs> Tim Heidecker. Tim Heidecker in there, also cornball. Just yeah, but like the douche variety. Yeah, of the, the douche, the douchey cornball. Yeah. Doesn't know that he's a cornball. At least Winston Duke's character knows that he's a cornball. He's a self-aware cornball. Yeah. He's just having fun. I thought the kids did a really amazing job, too. Evan Alex and uh, Shahadi Wright Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, I was was surprised by them. They were, yeah, they all did a really, really great job. So, performances. And, And Madison Curry, also, who was young Adelaide. She she yeah. did a really good job too. Yeah, which that was that opening was something. Yeah, because I that's take that same energy from the opening and keep that, you know, where she stands behind, and then cut. Just keep that same type of energy the whole way through. You don't have to explain things. Just give us a small taste and then done. Before we hop into the spoilers, uh, I feel like I should mention the effects work. I like to mention effects work in horror movies. They used a lot of practical effects in this, which I appreciate. Anytime these days, anytime I don't see see uh, an overabundance of CG blood, I feel like I need to mention it as a highlight. <laughs> Thank God, because uh, there was there was some pretty you know. Some pretty violent moments in this. I wouldn't say it was overly violent, but there were some pretty intense things that happened here, and it was all done in a very realistic and pretty grotesque manner, and it all looked quite good. Yeah, the yeah, I thought it looked quite good too, and I was kind of surprised with some of the violence, where it just it was a bit unexpected. Where <laughs> Just doppelgangers just showed up and yeah, just, some things, yeah, some things happen. A lot of the violent moments, because like you said, a lot of this movie is them running, hiding, you know, just trying to get away from them. So when the scenes of violence do occur, often it's done in such a way where you don't expect it and it happens very suddenly and you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it's like one of those things. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into spoilers, let's go ahead and give this a a score for those who don't want to listen to spoilers. I'm going to give us 
a oh my god i didn't even think about this i'm thinking about it now for the first time <laughs> i'm at like a seven and a half eight somewhere wow. somewhere that's around exact, there that's exactly what i was thinking i i have very very few criticisms with it and same here i think that it, even the exposition and the sort of over explaining of things still didn't bother me that much. So I'm leaning more towards an eight. Okay. I'm right there with you. Seven and a half, eight. Okay. I'm not sure which way I'm leaning though. Yeah, you just I'm right swaying. there in the middle. I'm just right there in the middle. Tomorrow might be one way today. It's another, it's a different way. You know, exactly. that's, that's how it works. Cause right now I'm thinking that the, the exposition stuff I did find detrimental. So I'm leaning towards the 7.5. But maybe tomorrow you'll forget about the exposition dump exactly. and you'll be focusing on the other highlights. Yeah. Exactly. I'll be thinking about everything else and then I'm swaying to the 8. In a lot of ways, it's really what sticks with you with the mm-hmm. movie. Let's talk about some of what we've been watching on the watch list. Kevin, you're up. I'm going to preemptively give you a segue here because I watched a Yafet Kodo movie. Uh-oh. It was on Amazon Prime called The Monkey Hustle from 1976, directed by Arthur Marks. Um, this is this movie is an absolute mess. It's just <laughs> it's it's not good, not good as a as a movie as a film. It's terrible, right? It's literally just scenes. There's they almost play out like skits. There's a scene. And then it cuts, and then there's another scene, and it cuts, and then there's another scene. And sometimes they um, sometimes they flow together. Sometimes they just come out of nowhere and have absolutely nothing to do with what the main story is. Although you're not really entirely sure what the main story is. Um, and like the synopsis for this movie talks about... Um, this, this community in Chicago throwing a block party to stop the building of a new highway. That does not show up until the last 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> no one really talks about throwing a block party. No one really talks about sh- trying to stop this highway from being built through their community. I mean, bits here and there. But the majority of this is Yafet Kodo plays this, this hustler who does these ridiculous hustles. You have this group of kids that want to work for him, but also don't want to work for him. And they are also doing their own thing. And then one of them is also a drummer and he's trying to get his girlfriend back. And like, there's just, there's so many things going on and it just, there's no focus whatsoever. There is little bits here and there that I just like how the kind of, the community comes together at the end to stop this in their own ways. Like they have their own way of stopping everything that's happening. But I mean, it's relatively fun, but at the same time, it's just an absolute mess. Mm. And that's the monkey hustle from 1976. And it it has one of those, uh, seventies theme song. Yes. Which is just someone say someone going, what are the words? Got a monkey hustle going. Monkey hustle. 
and it's just that (laughs) over and over and over again so it right before we recorded this news broke that larry cohen had passed away now we've talked about larry cohen a number of times on this show i think that it's safe to say that both you and i are fans of larry cohen's work Mm -hmm. and just last night let me let me just set the stage for this i went to see shazam and i'll talk about that in a a minute i got home massive headache just massive headache came on and i'm like ah i can't i just can't function so i decided to take a nap it's one of those deals where i took a nap for like four hours and i woke up at 11 30 and i was wide awake and i'm like you know what i'm gonna watch bone from 1972. Mm-hmm. This is Larry Cohen's mm-hmm. debut. Now, it didn't come out of nowhere. You and I talked about this, and I told you I was going to watch it this week. So it's not like it was, you know, some kind of uh, a, a spiritual thing that happened. But it's still uh, a really sad coincidence nonetheless. I loved Bone. I knew you would. It's so... The thing about Larry Cohen movies is they're such uh, a mess. Like, they're just so all over the place. And I think if it was any other director, you'd be like, this is horrible. This is, none of this makes any sense whatsoever. There's no structure to what's happening here. It's just like random things that that are going on. But with Larry Cohen, somehow he makes it all... Uh, coalesce into this like strange madcap story about Yafet Koto as this guy who he's a home invader and he goes to this couple's house and in order to get money and when he finds out they don't have any money he sends the husband to empty a bank account all the while threatening to to rape the wife in probably the the kindest way possible where he's like, I don't want to do it, but I mean, just so you know, like I'm going to have to do it. Like be forewarned that this might have to happen. I don't want to, but it might happen. And he's kind of a likable guy, despite the horrible things that he says that he's going to do. A lot of very strange things. It opens. I don't even understand the the opening is the the husband doing a car commercial, and it's nothing but dead bodies in all of the cars, like bloodied corpses. And I'm not quite sure I understood what that was all about. I don't remember that part of it. You don't remember I, that? I no, because I remember just being the the pool. Where it's like a, yeah, this happens before the pool. It the the movie opens with him doing a car commercial and it's dead bodies in all of the cars. And he's showing he he's continuing with the commercial, but he's showing like visible signs of concern about all these dead bodies. <laughs> and I'm not really quite sure what that represented. I don't know what that meant. Very very odd. The. The, the movie's just 
all over the place. Like it'll follow Bone for a while, then it goes to the husband, and and like he goes on this like madcap adventure to try to get this money, where he's like running into the woman talking about her X-rays, like her husband suddenly became obsessed with with getting his mouth x-rayed and he went to all the dentists Mm -hmm. to get his mouth x-rayed and then he died because he had so many x-rays done on his mouth even though his teeth were fine and then there was like the whole argument with about the coddled eggs which i never even i'd never heard of a coddled egg before but I guess that's a thing where bone really wanted her to make coddled eggs and he wasn't too happy with the end result. And then there's a scene where the husband just randomly meets this woman and sleeps with her. And during the sex scene, he's like, they're cutting away to him, like caressing his car. And it turns into this like weird car sex fantasy. And then he tries to sneak out of her place and she has a next to her bed she has a full gumball machine that he knocks over and spills the gumballs everywhere. It's just so, it's so weird. I can't recommend it highly enough. Love Bone before he loves you. I honestly, like, I need to watch Bone now. Like, I watched Bone, and I've been trying to get you to watch Bone, and you finally did, but so much time has passed that I forget a lot of the specifics of Bone that I now have to watch Bone, and we're just going to be playing this tag match back and forth. It's going to be a new thing on the we, podcast. We just one of us watches Bone like every other month and reminds <laughs> us uh, of how amazing it is. Because Yafakoto is so great in this movie. He is. He's he's incredible. I'm not sure why it's not talked about more. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've seen a number of Larry Cohen movies at this point, And unfortunately now, now that he's, I, I was thinking about it last night, right after I watched bone, like, Oh man, first of all, I was thinking, I hope he makes some more movies. And then after that, I was thinking I need to go back and watch all of his movies. I've seen a number. Mm-hmm. I've seen a good number of his movies, but I need to just catch them all. Yeah. Cause I, I just know that they're all going to be ridiculous. So that's my wonderful. My 2019 goal is to complete his filmography movies. He directed, I, by the way, not, and not. I think the, the craziest thing for me too to find out with him dying today is that he was only 77. Like that doesn't make sense to me. How was he only 77? Yeah. The, the documentary uh, what's the name of it? King Cohen. Uh, I would recommend checking that out. If you're not familiar with his work, the documentary King Cohen sort of breaks down almost every single project that he's been involved with, not just films that he's directed, but films that he wrote also. Cause he's, hmm. he's mostly known as a writer. He, he mostly considers himself a writer over a director. Hmm. He, he wrote a ton of movies. So anyway, Bone is great. Check it out. Uh, the last one I have is a 2000 documentary from Farda. That's The Gleaners and I, which is, is a, a little kind of feels like this kind of small scale fun doc about uh, gleaners. These these old pictures, old paintings of gleaners that kind of piques her interest. And then she kind of 
goes from there and talks about the past of gleaners and then the present iterations of gleaners, which are these people that once a, a cropped is, is harvested, gleaners come through and just pick up all the scraps. They're just allowed to come through and get whatever's left over for themselves and their families. <clears throat> so she ends up going to these different regions in France where, you know, there's potato harvest where they dump all these potatoes and people come through and kind of pick out what they want and take them home. And there's, there's cabbage gleaners and all these different people. <clears throat> and then there's also this idea of people kind of picking junk off of the streets and repurposing it. And then there's, she looks at artists that reuses this junk to make artwork. And she kind of takes every type of iteration that there is of like a gleaner or a picker and just kind of presents it to you. But there's also this very, her style of playfulness throughout which is where she kind of gets into it and she starts picking trash and taking stuff home. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting is when she's talking about gleaners and the gleaning laws in France, she has the judges in full garb with the, the law book standing like in a cabbage field and they'll recite the laws to you to kind of give you an idea of what's allowed and what's not allowed. Hmm. They constantly like kind of cut back to this, to this ridiculous guy standing in a cabbage field with his full, you know, judge outfit mm -hmm. reading the laws to you. <clears throat> and then there was a, a scene where she picks, she ends up bringing home a home a, a clock, like a desk clock that has no hands on it. And she's like, oh, this is my type of thing. And there's just a shot of her, her clock where she put it in her house. And then, like, in the background, it's just, like, the top of her head just kind of, like, slides by without her making any facial expression whatsoever. And for whatever reason, it was just the funniest thing to me to just see Varda just kind of, like, slowly moving across frame behind this clock. It's just, it's, like, she's, she's dealing with, like, heavy things here with mostly homeless people picking through trash and everything. But at the same time, she's kind of having fun with the idea of making this movie. And that's The Gleaners and I from 2000. Yes. Gotta love Varda. How can you not? She is, uh, she is, she's something else. There's no one really like her, I don't think. I don't think so. All right, I got a few left here that I can rattle off pretty quickly i'm covering the what the fest film festival right now i think i'll go over everything that i saw there next week um in the essence of time but i, I saw some decent stuff no real major standouts as of yet but i got a couple more to to see there i saw dragged across concrete this is uh, as craig zoller's new movie I was a little concerned about this one judging just simply judging by the runtime. It's 158 minutes. That's pretty meaty. I was like, Hmm, I don't know. Like I, I thought that bone Tomahawk and brawl and cell block 99 
worked maybe because they were sort of brisk. I don't really remember what the run times were on those specifically, but everything seemed to be moving pretty fast. This is a much more purposefully paced movie. It's a very gritty cop drama that stars Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn as these uh, two grizzled cops who are put on suspension after they are a little bit too rough with a perp during an arrest and it gets caught on video and put out on the news and on the internet and they get in trouble. So they need money. So they decide to rob a, who they think is a, what, what they think is a drug deal going down. Turns out that's not what's happening at all, but at the time they don't know that. So they get roped into this, um, heist essentially that goes down and everything that's involved with that. It's great. I really loved this movie. I think that S Craig Zoller is a, a master at his craft being, making these modern exploitation films that they don't like they, they have the homage in them, but they don't necessarily feel like they're mimicking anything. They feel new. And I think that a lot of that goes to his writing. Uh, All of his movies have very smart, snappy dialogue. And I think that that's the thing that I appreciate the most about his movies, the sort of banter and the, the, unique slang terms that are used in his movies that don't really have an explanation. Like you just have to put things together. You have to use context clues to sort of piece together what they're saying. And I, I really, really like his writing style. And I think that this narrative really complements his writing style. When you have these really long, like extended scenes of Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson, just staking, staking this guy out. There's very extended sequences of them just sitting in a car talking <laughs> or slowly following the guy as he's going from point A to point B. There is action in this. And like uh, Zoller's other movies, it's very violent when it does happen, although it's not nearly on the same level as Bone Tomahawk or Brawl and Cell Block 99, whereas those movies were very over-stylized and sort of set in these like alternate universes essentially where everything is sort of over the top and nothing is very real that happens in those movies. This movie is very grounded in reality and the violence while it is sparse, it is very intense and very real looking. Tori Kittles is also in it who plays, he's sort of the third lead. And in a lot of ways I would argue that he's actually the main character of the story, even though he he has a decent amount of screen time, though not as much as Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. He plays this guy who is just out of prison, who also needs to get money to take care of his handicapped brother and his mother. And he sort of reluctantly takes this job to be involved with this heist. He's going to be the driver during this heist. And uh, it's it's really great. I mean, it's... It's very cool. And that's playing on VOD and in theaters right now. Again, that's dragged across concrete. I also have a review for that up on the site now. The last one I'll mention is Shazam. This is directed by David F. Sandberg. Now, 
if that name sounds familiar, maybe it does. He's the guy who did Lights Out and Annabelle Creation. Okay. Which, a, a very interesting choice to have this guy who makes these two really great supernatural horror movies to do Shazam for DC, which is, you know, this kind of, you know, light, fun, poppy superhero movie. But it worked. Uh, it's pretty good. It, at the end of the day, it's still a superhero movie, so it does follow a lot of the same tropes. I would, I, I'm, as far as the DC movies goes, this is my second favorite underneath Wonder Woman. I think that it's a lot more fun and a lot, I mean, tons more comedy than any of the other DC movies. I mean, this this is more in line with the Marvel stuff. I mean, there might even be more comedy in it than your typical Marvel movies with the exception of maybe Thor Ragnarok or something. But it's uh, the, the stuff that I like the most about Shazam was the non big action set pieces, which actually seem like they sort of take a backseat to everything else. It reminded me of Spider-Man Homecoming. In that my favorite parts of Spider-Man Homecoming were the non, you know, set piece moments. And that's sort of how it was with Shazam Mm. as well, where a lot of it was just like him. Because if you're not familiar, Shazam is actually a 14-year-old kid who gets these magical powers that turn him into this Superman-like being and he's indestructible he has super strength super speed he can fly it's pretty much all the same stuff as superman but he's a 14 year old kid and he can change to and from his form his his captain his name's captain marvel in the comic books but they don't mention that for obvious reasons in the movie (laughs) But he can change to and from it by yelling the name Shazam, and that turns him into the, the his character. They do a lot of really cool stuff in it, especially towards the end. But it's him like figuring out because he doesn't even know what powers he has when he first gets gets the powers. So they're trying to figure out like what he can do, you know, if he can fly, if he has speed and all of this stuff. So those were all real fun moments. And then there was a lot of kind of Easter eggs and, and callbacks. There was a joke, uh, a big joke at one point in it that, that was really fun. And I had a good time with it. So I have a review for this up on the site now. Again, it still, I, I was still feeling somewhat lethargic from the whole superhero thing. But there's just there's enough here to make it feel uh, entertaining and, and fun. Let's talk about some new releases in theaters this week. We have Dumbo coming out. This is the Tim Burton directed Disney adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a skip. Hard pass for me on that one. Correct. I just can't get into any of these live action Disney ones. Now, remember you and I reviewed the jungle book mm-hmm. a few years ago. I liked that one. That one was good. That was all right. Yeah. 
Now, but to it, me that that one felt more like an animated movie, yeah, than anything. It was like ninety nine percent. I do have to, with the the Dumbo. I did come to realize that I don't think I've ever seen the original Dumbo. I saw it when I was very young, very very young. I remember watching it in like kindergarten, and that was my only exposure to it. So anytime so, I see the new Dumbo, I'm like, hey, I should maybe check out the old Dumbo. I don't know if I'm going to, but it's it's in the back of my mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, honestly, I was never really big on the animated one, and this one just doesn't doesn't really do it for me either. We also have the Beach Bum coming out. This is the Harmony Corinne one with Matthew McConaughey. That's coming out now? Mm-hmm. What? Yep. Yeah, it's getting a limited release this weekend. That movie looks... Mm. I'm going to give it a shot. I have no expectations <laughs> just, for it. It looks so insufferable and obnoxious. Like, I don't, yeah, but you know... I know. I, bet, I know. I bet, I, bet, I bet Spring Breakers look like that, too. You know? Uh, I, know I, I don't know. It's, I think it's, uh, it's just Matthew McConaughey playing mm, that mm-hmm. character it's just like i don't i'm not interested in that and it okay. seems like that's going to be such a huge part of this movie <laughs> it's going to be him and that character he and is I, the beach bum so. i know and i just i don't know if i can do it uh, i'll give it a look we have unplanned coming out diane a vigilante this is with olivia wilde not too much talk about this but I'm, it's a revenge story, okay. And I'm kind of, kind of into this. It looks, it looks like it could be pretty decent. White Chamber coming out. It's, this is like a sci-fi horror movie, I believe, that looks a lot like Cube. Okay. Uh, the Chaperone, The Brink. This is the second Steve Bannon documentary. Now the the Errol Morris one never came out, so I'm not sure exactly what happened with that i know that there were some issues with distribution and the last i heard errol morris said that he on twitter that he was going to put it out himself so Hmm. this is like a newer documentary that follows steve bannon as he travels around the world trying to push his nationalist ideas and rhetoric wonderful yeah i know I mean, I, I want to see it. I feel like it's probably an important movie to see, but at the same time, it's like, ah, uh, mm, I don't really want to. I just, it's one of those things that you are just rooting for cirrhosis. <laughs> yeah. Do your thing. Cirrhosis, take the wheel. Cirrhosis, take the <laughs> wheel. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it for theaters on VOD this week. We have We Are Boats. <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> we Are Boats is the name of this movie. Okay. Lives intertwine and connect when Francesca navigates through the living world by encountering strangers at the exact moment she needs to, sending their lives on either a better course towards happiness or setting the wheels in motion towards a tragic end. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I'm not sure what 50, that's about. 50-50. Mm-hmm. Good things or death, one or the other. <laughs> no just just like real life. No in between. 
Uh, we have Bachman coming out. That's the a rock doc about Bachman Turner Overdrive, I believe. I'm going to do every fucking band. Are you kidding me? This is an actual documentary, though, not like The Dirt or Bohemian <clears throat> Rhapsody. I heard The Dirt you, was horrible, by the way. I didn't, I didn't see it. But even still, like, no one needs a BTO documentary. <laughs> like, no one needs that. Uh, I think boomers, these boomers would love it. <laughs> They're just like churning that shit out for boomers left and right. <laughs> Old classic rock docs. <laughs> God damn it. Bad company. It's going to be within <laughs> a couple of months. Uh, yeah, like where's the Eagles doc right now? <laughs> oh, the Jesus. Doobie, the Doobie Brothers. Oh fuck! God damn. Uh, White Chamber is also coming out, as is Sobibor, which is a war movie. The Highwayman is coming out on Netflix. That's the one with Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner, and they play the FBI agents who took down Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not great, but I'll give it a look. Director John Lee Hancock, who did The Blind Side. Oh, Jesus. Did that one. And also on Netflix is The Legend of Cocaine Island. This is a documentary that I'm actually pretty interested in. It's about this guy who hears a story about a $2 million stash of cocaine that's buried in the Caribbean. And he puts together a, a ragtag group of misfits to go try to find this buried cocaine in the Caribbean. <laughs> I mean, it's, it really sounds like one of those sort of stranger than fiction. It sure does. Stories. So I'm, I'm into it. I thought for a second there, I thought this was like a, another seventies band rock doc cocaine island <laughs> no no not, not that i'm aware of that's pretty much it for vod let's take a look at what we have on blu-ray we got aquaman coming out eh, i was unimpressed with aquaman perfect blues getting a new blu-ray release if you cool. haven't seen perfect blue i would highly recommend it the original pet cemetery is coming out on 4k nice because of course it is Multiplicity from 1996. <laughs> yes. The classic. I need to rewatch that. I remember I, enjoying that movie. I've never seen it the whole way through, I don't think. I, I caught it on TV a couple times, but it was always like towards the end. <laughs> so many Michael Keatons. <laughs> yeah. It, wall to wall. it was an, an army of Michael Keatons. And I remember they would get dumber as each one was cloned. They would get dumber and dumber. <laughs> Love it. Um, In the Cold of the Night from 1990 is coming out. If Beale Street Could Talk is coming out. Fleshpot on 42nd Street. I think that that is uh, an AGFA release. That sound, I mean, from the title alone, that sounds like a look. Yeah. Yeah. Stan and Ollie from last year is coming out. That's the Laurel and Hardy biopic. Her good things. It looked bad, but eh. blood, blood hunger. The f the films of Jose Laraz is coming out on Arrow. Okay, that is a three three movie collection, including Whirlpool, Vampires, and The Coming of Sin. 
That's a limited edition. Uh, let's see. Can You Ever Forgive Me is coming out. Another much-talked-about film from last year. Let's see. Brighton Beach Memoirs from 1986 is coming out on Shout Factory. Kingdom of the Spiders from 1977 is coming out. Yes. We actually have a write-up about this movie. I think it was a Grindhouse Weekly. Say, many moons sounds, ago. It sounds familiar. Yeah, many moons ago. It's a great we wrote title. about Kingdom of the Spiders. Such a great title. Let's see. The Squeeze from 1987. That's another Michael Keaton comedy. King of Thieves from last year. That was a really bad movie that came out. Heist movie with Michael Michael Caine. Mm. Jim Broadbent. Mm. A lot of good people in it, but boy, was it bad. The Jungle Book is coming out. This is the one from 1967. This is a Disney Movie Club exclusive. Oh, shit. So you can only get it on the Disney Movie Club until September 30th. Wow. Uh, I guess after which they'll sell it to the to the regular people. <laughs> to the peasants. Mm-hmm. Just chuck They're it out. on Disney Clovers. <laughs> fucking chuck it out their limo window. <laughs> you poor peasants on the street corners. Mm. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much all I have. What about Criterions? We have two debuts, all right? I, I, I guess they're going for a theme this Tuesday. So the first one is the debut from Robert Zemeckis, which is I Want to Hold Your Hand from 1978. You also get two early shorts from the early 70s. He had a conversation with the Zemeckis co-writer Bob Gale and the producer Steven Spielberg. And then uh, a new audio commentary from Zemeckis and Gale. And then the debut from Carlos Regadas, Japone, from 2002. You get an early short, deleted scenes, video diary shot by one of the actors, and then a convo between uh, Regadas and filmmaker Amat Escalante. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to feedback at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. All right, let's talk about some spoilers for us first first off that the i mean it's a really stupid thing but uh that boat motor that propeller wouldn't uh-huh. do that with the <laughs> it's just, i did think that, that was kind of ridiculous where it just fucking did, annihilated him the entirety of his body was yeah just, just annihilated ate him up just ripped him up <laughs> I mean, I don't know enough about boat motors to say one way or the other. So I, I, they'll, I mean, they'll fuck you up, but that, that boat motor in particular is not going to completely annihilate your body. It's not like a ninja for a full size man. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like his stomach was on the propeller and that's what just fucking eviscerated his ass. Yeah. Well, it wasn't like bone. It was more like, you know, soft stomach flesh that, could be. Just ground him up. Either that way, was the, that was the first thing that was unexpected. I was just like, "Oh, I did not." Yeah, I didn't expect that either. That was definitely a <laughs> shock. 
but it was great how he did it. He, he head how he headbutts the mm-hmm. motor to turn it on and just rip him up. That was yeah, great. I, th- I thought for sure he was dead. You as thought a person as a person with knee problems. <laughs> as soon as he got hit with the with the bat at the knee, I was like, "You're done, you're dead." I'm sorry, you're not going to make it. Uh, the prayers. when the second set when Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Mosses and their two kids when those doppelgangers showed up and just annihilated them right off the bat. <laughs> they were highly efficient. That was uh that was another shock. I didn't see that coming. Now, like like we said in the in the earlier non-spoiler review, the <laughs> we, you see in the trailer Elizabeth Moss crawling on the floor. So we know something happens. I just assumed mm-hmm. that it was the main family doppelgangers that got to him. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. I figured like at some point Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss like come over to the house or something to like help. And and when they get on the boat, I was thinking, oh, they said earlier, like, oh, you're just across the bay. So I was thinking, oh, this is going to be the scene where they go to hide out in their house and the doppelgangers get them. And it's not exactly what happens. Certainly they get hit by the doppelgangers, but it's uh, it's there's not. I loved I loved Tim Heidecker's doppelganger Tex, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh the uh when he goes to shake the hand and then runs it mm-hmm. through his hair <laughs> that was so uh it was incredible ridiculous i love the fact that the kids were not to be trifled with in this movie mm-hmm. like they were not fucking around these kids oh that was another thing that i thought was really funny when the, the <laughs> When she kills the first, uh, the first daughter, when she kills the first one and she kind of like, like shakes off her arms and stuff like, okay. yeah, yeah, that was great. That was a great scene. Yeah. And then later, and then later when they're all getting into Tim Heidecker's car and they're arguing over who had the most kills. Uh. <laughs> That was that was kind of a, the one of the kind of surprising things to me was that just just how funny it was. I mean, I expected there to be a decent amount of comedy, even from the trailer. It looked like there was a lot of funny moments, but like we said before in the earlier review, the the fact that they're they're not front loaded, they're sprinkled in all throughout, even in the most tense times, he manages to squeeze in these little these little one-liners or just little moments that that make it so much fun yeah despite the horrible things that are happening on screen definitely now the okay you go first i was gonna say i don't know if you were going with this but the end and the explanation and all of that yeah that's uh i think really messes with the logistics of everything because i had a lot of questions throughout especially with uh their son kind of realizing that you can control them yeah with your actions and then it's mirrored but it's not always mirrored it only seems to be mirrored when it's convenient for jordan peele 
Yeah, because early on we see Winston Duke's character, Gabe, we see him like adjusting his glasses and his doppelganger does the same thing. Mm -hmm. So we do see early on that, yeah, they do mirror that. And then later on when we get the explanation, we see a, a flashback of what this like underground society looks like and how they seem to mimic everything. Like everything mm-hmm. that the the surface dwellers do seems to be mimicked by the people underground. And yeah, that raises a lot of logistical questions about how how this all works. Like what what the rules are here because it does seem like they don't have to mimic everything. That they can yeah. just they can pick and choose. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's and, like a maybe it's like an overwhelming urge for them to to do it, and they have to like fight it off to remain like could, un, untethered. Yeah, could be. I'm not sure. Where do they get all the scissors? Yeah, where where did the scissors come from? And uh, the red jumpsuits. They are so many red yeah. jumpsuits. <laughs> it's like, how do you make all those jumpsuits? Seems a bit odd. It it does seem odd, but everything about the underground world and how it was created and how it works is slightly odd. Yeah. Like, why only give them rabbits? They can only eat raw rabbit? Because they, they replenish themselves. But uh, yeah, at the same time, I think a lot of these, a lot of these individuals would be very, very gaunt and just <laughs> yeah. would not have the strength to overpower anyone. They can only eat rabbits. They have not seen sunshine in forever. Like they would immediately come up to land and just kind of pass out. Really, they all have scurvy. <laughs> yeah, it would just like you would be so easy to overpower them. Yeah, it's also weird that the the girl is able to somehow make her way to the surface at the beginning and. That's when she switches place with Adelaide. Mm. And what I'm wondering is like, if she can make it up to the surface, why can't all of them? Or maybe they, they were able to, and just like, didn't for some reason. They just just need someone to guide them. Yeah. Something or other. But I think, and that's the thing that I'm talking about when, um, when we were talking about the trailer and it wasn't necessarily the doppelgangers for me, it was that Lapido, Lapido, Lapita in the, in the car when they're, when um, the loonies is playing Mm -hmm. and she's snapping her fingers and she's not even close to being on beat. And I'm just like, well, that's really weird. (laughs) And then when they do the, 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 the original thing, I'm just like, Oh, so they switched places. Okay. And yeah. then like later on when she kills when she has to kill the 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 one daughter that they thought was dead and she's kind of like freaking out after or yeah. while she's killing her and after she's killing her, I'm like oh she's making the same noises so yeah right. okay. Yeah. And that's that, what I mean that, when like towards the end where they had to like show the small child choking out the other one I was like you don't need you don't have to go that far. You could have left that bit. Well, the, some people might have picked up on it. Other people might not have picked up on it. You know, 
it would just I thought I thought it would have worked much better. Yeah, I mean that's that's the scene when I started suspecting things too, like especially when she chokes out or when she kills the daughter and does the kind of makes the same noises and, and that's when the son they showed the son as he mm-hmm. witnessed that he knew like at that moment he knew something was up like something that's wasn't I mean. wasn't right and they made a point to show him like sort of having that realization like mm, something's not right with mom you know exactly and that's that's the jordan peel giving you the like you know hitting you in the ribs with his elbow and it's like yeah i i, I saw it and then you know what happens later when it, it, kind of the same thing in the underground and you're like yeah i know jordan i i see it it's there I and will then say- you know the to take it that extra step to like actually show the flashback scene where it's like i already knew i i saw the clues you were giving me jordan and that was in the trailer too the scene when the one gr- the little girl grabs the other one by the throat like that was that was in the trailer too which yeah. I thought I thought that was a really effective scene. That was a really creepy scene. But yeah, I'm not sure that we needed that whole not not only that scene, but everything that came after where we saw her being taken in and the the clothes being switched. It was like they went a little bit too far with the explanation mm-hmm. and like them chaining her up in in the underground area. It was like okay, but we we know, like we know, yeah. you don't have to keep going with it past this. My my questions are more like, how does this world work? Like the the explanation that she gave about like who created them and stuff was like made things more confusing to me <laughs> as far as like. Who who are your creators and why why is it that you're here again? It was like an experiment that didn't work, and they just left you. Yeah, that's not America. They would kill all of you. <laughs> they would definitely kill all of you and erase erase any all the evidence. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the other spoilers. I think well, I think I do enjoy. Um, because we really didn't even talk about it at all. Because the, in order to talk about it, you essentially spoil the movie, which is maybe what he's trying to say here with the doppelgangers. Which oh yeah, like the societal implications. Yeah, yeah. Because you do have you know she switches places early on. She can't talk. She really doesn't know anything. She's she's like a feral animal, really. It's been living down in the the sewers and essentially utilizing uh, the arts with dancing and drawing and painting and stuff like that. And having a a good set of parents to kind of like raise her to be one of us, essentially, Mm -hmm. which I did. I I thought that all of that was, I think, you know, it's all pretty surface level. Like I don't, think it's really that complicated in what he's doing but at the same time it doesn't need to be like i don't know why there's always this insistence that things need to be like overly complicated yeah i agree like i think he has something to say and he's granted 
little slip ups towards the end there for me. But I thought he did a good job of it. Yeah, same here. I will agree. All right. That's us.